We have jumped to Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read from 14, first 11, sorry. Actually, first 14. First 14 up to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. Okay? This is what the Bible says. We're going to read together in count of three. One, two, three. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he said also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was hurt because of his reference. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. My sermon tonight is actually hard but simple. I call it the great high priest. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the word of God that we just read because we believe with all of our heart that the word has power to transform our life. So when, when we listen to this word, when we recite this word, it's not just thing that we do out of obligation, but we believe there is power in the word of God. And even as we speak them, as we read them, it changes us right now, Lord. And we believe, Lord, when we truly understand and grasp your word, that our life will not be the same because the word of God is living and active and it's transforming us as we read and hear the word. So I pray that tonight, Lord, that you speak to your people, pray that you use me in all my limitations and all my weaknesses to be able to communicate your message in such a way that your people can understand what you are truly saying to them and their mind and their life will be transformed by it. And we ask this because only you can do this, Holy Spirit. So I pray that you make the Word of God come alive in our life, Lord. It's active right now. It transforms us. And we ask this in the name of our son, your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Okay? Let me start with a proclamation. Jesus is mighty to save. Can I have amen? amen. Good one. I think the idea that Jesus is mighty to save is one that we know with our mind, but sometimes we forgot with our heart. And tonight, I really want all of us to understand something. That the fact that we can call ourselves Christian today, do you know why? It is because Jesus saved us. Do you get that? The beauty of that. The Bible clearly says this, that you and I are dead because of our sin, that you and I are lost, that we were not found, but because of Jesus in His goodness, He came and rescues us. 
And he did that because of one thing. The word for that is the grace of God. So the fact that we are still able to worship him, we are able to call ourselves Christian today is one thing. Because grace of God is working in our life. So the fact that you are breathing, that you can still worship, the fact that you will be still alive in the next minute, it is the grace of God. And the only reason that we are here tonight, it is because of the grace of God. Amen? So tonight, I want to talk about the idea of high priest, okay? Why do we need high priest? Because the word high priest is actually, actually the, person of, the person of high priest in the Old Testament is very, very important. And today, we kind of lost significance of what's important of high priest. So tonight, I want to talk about high priest. Why is it important for us to have a high priest? Let me go back to you to our last sermon. Now, if you remember, our last sermon of the book of Hebrews is about what? The word of God is living and Active, that means it's the Word of God does not need you and me to help to do what He wants to do. The Word of God has power to accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish. It does not have your help, need your help. See, remember when, when in the beginning, the Bible says it was nothing. And the moment God spoke, what happened? Poof, universe happened, correct? So with the Word of God, with simply a word, God created the universe. It's living. It's active. And that very same Word of God is today living and active in your life. And the Word of God is not only living and active. The Bible said the Word of God is able to penetrate deep into your being. That means this. There's not a single thing in your life that the Word of God cannot cut. The Word of God can cut anything, any sin, anything that you try to hide. The Word of God is able to cut it. And not only that, there's another point. This is the scary point. The Word of God exposes us. Remember that part? That you cannot hide anything from the Word of God. So the, uh, the order of Hebrew likened the Word of God to the eyes of God, that God sees everything. There's nothing that you can hide from God, even the very thing that you think you can hide from your friend, your best friend, your husband, your wife, your pastors, even the very thing that you try to deny it exists, the Word of God able to reveal it all. Now, how many of you realize this is a problem? Because if the Word of God can reveal all, if the Word of God exposes everything, that means you and I are in a big trouble. Okay, can we agree? Can we agree? It's like this. Let me give you an example. It's like God strapped a video recorder on your neck, okay? And it records everything you say and do without need to be recharged. No battery needed. So it records every single thing that you do. Not only that things that you say and do, but it records everything that happened in your heart. Now, okay? How many of you would like to watch that recording? Come on, babe. What do you want to do tonight? Let's watch 24-7 of my life, okay? How many of you want to do that? Let me tell you, none of you will want to do it. Why? Because we are far worse than we would like to admit. We are followers. Let me give you just example, right? If you're married, if you're married or you're in a relationship, how many of you want your partner to know everything that is going on in your heart? Babe, why do you look so cranky today? It's okay, babe. I find, I find. You know, you can just go play PUBG all the day long. Don't worry about me, you know. Have fun. Enjoy your life. And then you turn around, you say, PUBG, you satanic, okay? I may or may not hear one of you say that during a point of fellowship. So, so it happens, like... If, 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 it, if, if the other person knows everything there is to know about you, then you know that you're going to be in big trouble. Now, if that's true about relationship between man and woman, how much truer it is with a relationship with God? Because God knows every single thought that you never express. He knows it all. And if that's the case, then you and I'm like, well, we're doomed. Because the Bible says this, Hebrew said, that we must give account to everything that we say and do, even the things that are in our heart. 
we are standing, we are accountable to everything that we say. Then we're in big trouble. Now, however, there's a solution, okay? So that's the problem. Oh my gosh, there's nothing that we can hide from God. Yes, but there's a solution. In verse 14, the order of Hebrew continue after he said, the word of God is living and active and we must give account. The word of Hebrew says, since then we have a high priest. So, the, with another word, the role of high priest now introduced to the this, this story. And it's, because we have a high priest, we're fine. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about high priest. Three things. I want to talk about the role of high priest in the history of Israel first. And then I want to talk about the great high priest. And then I'm going to talk about the throne of grace. Okay, the first one, the high priest. We're going to read from first wife. So we're going to jump over first, uh, chapter 4. We're going to read first, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. So this is what the Bible says. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to overgive and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for, the, for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay? Let me explain to you. What is the whole of the role of high priest? So simply this. Because we are sinful people, because Israel, even though Israel being called and chosen by God, we learn in the book of Hebrew already that Israel continued to doubt God. Israel continued to walk contrary to the will of God, and because of that, they're living in sin. And this is what happened. Sin caused a huge gap between God and the people of God. Because God is holy and the people of God are sinful. So now there's a huge gap between a holy God and a sinful people. So how can a holy God have a relationship with the sinful people? There needs to be someone who closed the gap. And that person that closed the gap is the high priest. So the role of the high priest simply is they have to represent the people of God in front of God. To what? To make sacrifices for sin, to appease God's wrath, and to close the gap. So if I can put it in today's word, High priest function like a bridge builder, okay? So it's like a bridge builder. So if I can put it in a better word, is this, this the statement. Can I have a quote? High priest function as a bridge builder to connect the huge gap between God and the people of God. Let me repeat that one more time. High priest function as a bridge builder to connect the huge gap between God and the people of God. So that in order for the people of God and God to have relationship, there need to be a bridge that closed the gap because of sin. Okay? Are you with me? Now, let's talk about the human high priest, okay? The Israel high priest. According to the Bible, the book of Hebrew gives us three, three criteria for the high priest. First, okay, simple. First, it must be human. High priest must be human. I know this is very straightforward, but in our days and age, it's important for us to underline this. Because one time I, uh, I talked to my friend, uh, he, he, he's, talking, he's telling me about his best friend by the name of Richie. Oh, he's talking about Richie, Richie. Okay, and I'm like, who's Richie? He's my dog. Oh, okay. All right, so, and so some, your best friend can be your dog, but your high priest cannot be your dog. A high priest must be a human. Why it must be human? Because it is a human that sinned against God. It is a human that transgresses against God. Therefore, it must be another human that stands in the gap and offers sacrifices on behalf of other human to please God. Are you with me? So the first thing that we need to understand, the high priest must be human. Second thing, high priest must be appointed by God. So you cannot just walk out, okay, I'm going to be the next high priest. You cannot. 
uh, the Old Testament have the story of that. People just, I want to be the high priest. You know what happened? Straight away, God killed them. Boom! Okay? So you cannot just claim yourself to be a high priest. You have to be appointed by God. Same story. You cannot just come to this place, Rock City International, and say, hey, I'm your new pastor. I'd be like, oh my gosh, did I get fired or something? Did my pastor, did my, did my dad did not tell me that he does not like me anymore? Like, I'm insecure. Like, you cannot do that. I am the pastor of Rock City International, not you. So you have to be appointed. The very same thing, that to be a high priest, you have to be appointed by God. And this role in the history of Israel belonged to Aaron the brother of Moses and his descendants, okay? So you have to be appointed. First, high priest must be human. Second, high priest must be appointed by God. Third criteria, high priest must be able to identify with his people. This is what I mean, okay? So the Bible says this, the high priest must be able to deal gently with the wayward. That means you and me, with the people who are ignorant and wayward. And not only that, the high priest must be able to sympathize with people's weakness. They have to be beset with weakness. So, you do not want a person who do not understand you to be your high priest. For example, like, like for example, your high priest will be someone who's perfect and like, God, seriously, man, that guy, he just messed up all the time. I keep telling him not to come to church late. He always 30 minutes late. You know, I get tired of him. God, just send fire and burn him alive. Okay, you do not want that kind of high priest. You want the kind of high priest kind of, well, Lord, you know, he's struggling. He has two kids. He has three kids. Or maybe he's single, but he's just lazy. But, um, you, know, you know, God, can, can you be merciful to him? So you want a, a high priest that can identify with people, okay? You want that kind of high priest. So that's the three criteria. He must be human. It must be appointed by God. And he must be able to identify with his people. However, there's a problem. There's a problem. This is a problem. The book of Hebrews says this. The high priest, even though he's chosen by God, he also needs to offer sacrifices for his own sin. You read that before? That the high priest, even though he's appointed by God, before he can approach the throne of God, he must offer sacrifices for his own sin. What does it mean? It means this, that the high priest himself is a sinful person. Now, there's a problem. If sin is what caused the gap between God and the people of God, how can a someone who has sinned stand in the gap? Are you with me? That's a big problem. And that's a huge problem. And not only that, not only that, high priests will eventually die. They only live for what, 60, 70 years? But they will eventually die. Why? Because of sin. Because the curse of sin is dead. And because of that, the bridge, if we go back to the analogy of the bridge, the bridge needs to continually be rebuilt and remade. Rebuilt and remade. Rebuilt and remade. You with me? So the bridge is never constant. It's never perfect because it needs to be rebuilt, remade, rebuilt, remade, rebuilt, remade. That's why, that's why we need another high priest. That's why what happened in the Old Testament, if you read it, it feels like, you know what? There's something imperfect. There's something missing. There's something that is not right with what's happening in the Old Testament. Every time you read the Old Testament, you will get that sense. There's something incomplete here. Why? Because a new testament is coming. Because a greater high priest is coming. Because a greater accomplishment will come. And that accomplishment and that greater someone is the name by Jesus. His name is Jesus. And then, now the order of the book of Hebrew, after he introduced to us the role of high priest and the imperfection of human high priest, he will introduce us to the great high priest. So the second point, the great high priest. This is what the Bible says about our great high priest. In verse 5 to verse 10. So also, 
Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he said also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was hurt because of his reference. Although he was a son, this is a very beautiful verse, although he was a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So now we have a better high priest. The order of Hebrew gives him the title, the great high priest. Now, let me tell you about great high priest, okay? Remember, there's three qualifications. First, he must be human. So, first thing that we need to understand about Jesus is, Jesus is human. Uh, I already spent quite some time preaching about this in, when we preach Hebrew chapter 3, so I'm not going into detail, but we need to understand that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. He does not pretend to be human, no. He is human. Second, high priest must be appointed by God. Jesus is appointed by God. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Some of you are like, who the heck is Melchizedek? Okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry too much about it. Because when we get to Hebrew chapter 7, we're going to talk about this guy, Melchizedek. Okay? For now, all you need to do, you need to know about Melchizedek is this. I'm going to give you a bit background about man, the name of Melchizedek. What happened is this. Melchizedek first appeared in the Bible in the book of Genesis. So what happened? He's a king, king of a city by the name of Salem. And then he's not only a king, but he's also a priest. So he's a kingly priest or priestly king. You can put it a different way. He's a king and he's a priest. And this is weird because in the history of Israel, the role of the king and priest cannot go together. But yet we have kingly priests. We have a king and a priest at the same time by the name of Melchizedek. And then out of nowhere, he appears in the book of Genesis. Poof! And then he blessed Abraham the father of all Israel, he blessed Abraham, and then he disappeared, poof, out of nowhere. And then thousands of years later, his name appeared in Psalm chapter 110. After 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years, his name appeared, the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110. And now the order of Hebrew is quoting Psalm 110. He says, the order of Melchizedek, what it means? It simply means that Melchizedek presented to us a new kind of priesthood. If it's before it's human priest, now Melchizedek offers us a kingly priest, a priest king, who not only a priest, but remember, he has no beginning and no end. He appears out of nowhere, and then he disappears just like that. He has no beginning, no end. Eternal priesthood. Now, we're going to talk about deep about this in chapter, Hebrew chapter 7, so don't worry about it too much. But all you need to understand is this, that Jesus when God appointed him to be a priest, it's not temporary priest. It is eternal priesthood. What does it mean? It means simply this. The bridge will never need to be rebuilt or remade again. The bridge is constant. The bridge is perfect. The bridge will always be present. The bridge between human and God is there. Unshakable, unchangeable. You don't need to touch it. There will not need to be Jesus 2.0. Done. The bridge has been settled. You with me? So, but the third thing. So, Jesus not only human, but Jesus also appointed by God. But the third thing, Jesus needs to identify with his people. 
But this is what the Bible says in verse 7. It says this, In the day of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all obey him. So stop here. A lot of time, when we think about Jesus, this is what you, have, you and I have in mind. We think that Jesus is kind of a superman. We think that Jesus are never sad. We think that Jesus are never tired. We think that Jesus somehow are immune to our weaknesses. We think that Jesus somehow are above us. But that's not the Jesus that we saw in the Bible. Because the Jesus that we saw in the Bible are constantly, the Bible says this, he continued to pray and make supplication with loud tears and cry. Have you ever thought about that, that Jesus cried a lot? That Jesus cried a lot? There's one story, beautiful story. Um, one day, one of his disciples tell him that, Jesus, one of, your, one of the persons that you really love by the name of Lazarus is really sick. You know the story? Well, Jesus heard, Lazarus is really sick. Okay. And you know what Jesus did? He stayed behind for a few more days. So rather than rushing into uh, Lazarus, I, Jesus stayed behind for a few more days. And then Jesus tells his disciple, you know what? Lazarus is going to die. But don't worry. Why? Because I am going to resurrect him. I am going to see him and bring life to him. So don't worry about his death. But do you know, listen, do you know what happened when Jesus finally came to Bethlehem? When Jesus met Mary and Martha, and Mary and Martha were crying, and Mary and Martha were weeping, Lord, if you were here, if you just came earlier, Lord, if you just make haste to see Lazarus, this will not happen. Lazarus will not die. And Jesus knows exactly right that he's going to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus already told his disciples, I am going to do it. I am going to resurrect Lazarus. But then the Bible says, one of the shortest verses in the whole Bible, I believe you can memorize this, only two words. What? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now think about it. He knew exactly that Lazarus is going to die. And he knew exactly that he's going to resurrect Lazarus. But when he feel the pain of Mary and Martha, when he finally see the suffering that Mary and Martha went through, Jesus wept. Why? Because Jesus understands the agony and the pain of losing someone that you love. Jesus understands the agony and the pain that you and I endure every single day. Every day of his life is marked with prayer and supplication, with loud cries and tears. Jesus is fully human. But, but, the best example of this happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? So the night before crucifixion. The night before crucifixion, so Jesus was with his disciples, three of them. And then he said, you know what, guys? I want to pray, so you, you go there. I'm going to go here. I'm going to pray, okay? You stay there, stay awake. And this is what happened. This is beautiful, okay? This is really, really beautiful. So Jesus asked his disciples to stay awake in Mark chapter 14. This is what he said. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. No, no, here, this is beautiful. I need you to get this. So remember, like Jesus, okay, Disciples, stay awake. I'm going to pray to my father, okay? And this is what he said. Abba, Father, 
all things are possible for you. You know what it means? It simply means this. Lord, you can do whatever you want. Lord, if you want to remove this pain, if you want to remove the crucifixion, you can. With a snap of a finger, you can remove this pain from me. Lord, what I'm going to go through is painful. I feel with sorrow. My heart is sorrowful. I don't want to go through this. In fact, the Bible says, one of the Gospels said that Jesus was shedding blood. He was in such agony, pain, that he was shedding blood. And then he says, Lord, if you want, Lord, I know all things are possible for you. You can remove it. You can. You are able to, Father. But then what did he say next? Yet, not my will, but your will be done. I love this about Jesus. So he knew exactly what he's going to go through. And he feels sorrow. He feels painful. He feels the grief of going to the cross. And not only that, but his highest grief, his most important grief is this. He will experience a sense of separation from God the Father that he never experienced before because he endured our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that is due to our sin at the cross. That's why he was in such agony. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. And then because of that, the author of Hebrews said, Jesus learned obedient. Okay? The word learn obedient does not mean this. It does not mean that Jesus was disobedient and then he had to learn obedient. No. The word learn obedient simply means that Jesus was tested with suffering. He learned obedient to what he suffered. He suffered, but he never disobeyed God. He proved himself perfect to be the great high priest, which gave us the fourth criteria that Jesus has that no other high priest has. First, Jesus is human. Second, Jesus is appointed by God. Third, Jesus identified with his people. And the fourth one, what? Jesus is perfect. Jesus is perfect. With another word, with another word. Now that Jesus has become the great high priest, he accomplished what no other high priest can accomplish. You and I have secure confidence that you and I now have this standing that no matter what, that he will always be there, that no one can remove his work, that he has completed it, he's done it all. He is the great high priest. You with me? Which leads me to my third point. Very fast, because I have two applications of this. The third point is this, the throne of grace. The throne of grace. I'm going to read from chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. See what the Bible says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay. So now, the order of Hebrew. I switched the order around, by the way. You guys realize it? The order of Hebrew begins with his exhortation that we need to come to the approach of the throne of grace, that we need to hold fast to our confession. Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest. So I switched the other around by showing you that Jesus is the great high priest. And because Jesus is the great high priest, now there are two things that we are ought to do. Okay? Two things. Two things that we ought to do. First, it says this, hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? Simply this, Jesus is mighty to save. 
Still need a lot of practice, okay? Jesus is mighty too. Say, because this is our confession. Because remember, the author of Hebrew clearly said that, remember, the Word of God is living and active, that we must give account to in front of God, and then we're doomed. But we have a great high priest. That means this. We have someone who's standing the gap for us, someone who took on the punishment for us, and now he's eternal. He's not just a temporary high priest. He's eternal perfect high priest. He's always there for us. And now because of that, you and I are secure. And that's our confession that we're not someone who needs a little bit of help. No, we are someone who's totally doomed. But because Jesus is mighty to save, we have hope. That is our confession. That is my confession. That is your confession that Jesus is mighty to save. Now, I don't know about you, why you come here tonight. But I do know why I come here tonight. I come to this place because I cannot do life without Jesus. Jesus is mighty to save. He's not just someone that I need on the sideline. No, He is my life. Without a high priest, I'm totally doomed. But because I have a high priest, now I have confession. I cannot do it. But Lord, You can. And You've done it. You are my high priest. You are my great high priest. I have secure hope in You. So that's our confession that you and I cannot do it, but Jesus can. He is our high praise. And then the second thing. So we're not only told to hold fast to our confession. The book of Hebrews tells us to, the second thing that we need to do. You need, need only not hold fast to your confession, but you also need to draw near to the throne of grace. Now, this is... This is Old Testament imagery. Let me explain it to you, okay? What is the throne of grace? Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, God has a throne. And the way God's throne is symbolized in the Old Testament is through what? Do you know what? The Ark of Tabernacle, okay? So the Ark of Tabernacle, the other name of the Ark of Tabernacle in the Old Testament is God's throne. God's mercy is God's throne. So, and the funny thing about the throne of God is this. In the Old Testament, only one person can approach the throne of God. And he's, he's, who is he? A high priest. And not only a high priest can enter the throne of God, a high priest can only enter once a year. So only once a year, only one person can enter the throne of God. And not only that, we talked about it already. But in order for you, for high priest to enter the throne of God, he needs to make a lot of preparation. A week, remember? You have to take a lot of bat, you take another bat, bat again, bat again, and then you have to pray, read the Bible, cannot touch anything unclean for one whole week. So when you approach the throne of God in the Old Testament, you do it carefully. Because if you mess up the system, you die. But do you know what the order of Hebrews say? Draw near with what? Confidence. What, what's the word confident? The word confidence is you don't have to worry. You can come however you want. You can approach confidently. You can approach boldly. You can say whatever you want to say. Why? Because right now there's a new system. There's something that's been established that the Old Testament does not have. What do we have? We have a great high priest who is forever there. He does not need to need sacrifice for his own sin because he's sinless. He over his own life. And now because the bridge is there, the eternal bridge is there, now you can have the access. You can enter it with confidence, 24-7, available for you. That's something different. So the order of Hebrews says, now I want you to draw near to God. 
with confidence. And not only that, I love the fact that the Bible called the throne of God the throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? It means this, when you come to God, what He has for you is not judgment. What He has for you is not condemnation. When you come to God because of your high priest, when you come to God, what you will find there is mercy and grace. That's why it's called throne of grace. It's not called throne of condemnation. It's called the throne of grace because our high priests are there interceding for us. Because our high priest has made a way for us. Because our high priest says, Lord, he's with me. He's with me. And I love the, the idea is this. The idea that we can come boldly to the throne of grace is something that is only introduced in the New Testament. But do you know, do you know, do you know that you and I every day are tempted, are tempted to find other things beside God, beside Jesus, to make ourselves look good in front of God. Okay? This is not something new. We are naked before the eyes of God. The idea of nakedness comes from the book of Genesis. Okay? The book of Genesis tells us this. When God created Adam and Eve, God created them naked and not ashamed. Now think about it. Naked and not Ashamed, so they can run around naked and they're not feeling ashamed at all. Okay, don't try this today. Okay, do not. Do, the only time you can, you can be naked and not ashamed is in your bathroom when you're alone, okay? That's the only time. Not even in your house. Do not do that, okay? One of my roommates in America, he always walk around with just undies. It's annoying. It bothers me. So do not try that, okay? So today, we're naked and ashamed. But the Bible, in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible said they're naked and not a shame. But when they rebel against God, then their eyes are opened and they realize they're naked. And they feel shame. And then what did they do? They gather leaf. They soothe leaf together to cover them. And they think, now because I have leaf covering me, I will not feel ashamed anymore in front of God. Yet what happened when God came? What did they do? They hide. Because they know even their leaf are not enough to cover their shame. Their leaf are not enough to cover their shame. Therefore, they, they hide from God. And then, but I love my God. So when God came to the garden of Eden and he looked for Adam and Eve, he realized, oh, they've sinned against me. And you know what God did? God took an animal, slaughtered the animal, blood was spilled, and then took the skin and make a garment and clothed Adam and Eve with the garment. It's a picture of our great High priest. It's a picture of what God does through Jesus. That God gave Jesus a sacrifice. And then God took the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect life that Jesus lived that we cannot. And then God, you know what? Instead of you covering yourself with life, I'm going to give my son's righteousness. So from now on that you're going to be covered with Christ's perfection, with Christ's goodness. So when you come to the throne of God, you don't have to be ashamed. Because you are no longer covered with thick leaves. You are covered with Christ's robe of righteousness. That's what it means. So now you can bowl. You can approach with confidence. Now come. When you come, God promised, I have grace and mercy available for you. Mercy means this. I've covered your past mistake. Grace means this. In your present life and future life, I will empower it. I will not leave you alone. So come boldly to the throne. Of grace. That's the invitation of the, from the author of Hebrew. So what can we draw from this? Two applications, and then I'm done. First application, 
So now we learn about the great high priest, about Jesus, and then about the throne of grace, and then we're invited to draw near. So what is, how does it apply to us? There are many ways, actually, but I don't have the time, so I'm going to stick with two. First one is this. We need to admit, we need to admit that we are a weak people. We need to admit that we are a weak people. Now, this is very counterintuitive. The culture that we live in tells us this. You need to hide your weaknesses. You need to showcase your strength. That's the culture that we live in. Don't let the people see your weaknesses, but let them see your good side. Let them see your strength. Let them see your power. That's the culture that we grew up in. But Jesus, in, in the order of Hebrew, in fact, says, no, 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 no. What you need to understand is this, that you are weak. Listen, Christian, you are not a bunch of strong people. Christian are a bunch of weak and needy people who are desperate for God's help. That's the only reason we are Christian. Not because we are cold, we are awesome. No, we are Christian because we admit, we confess that I cannot do it. I need high priest. So the first thing that we need to understand from this passage is an invitation that we need to do, that we need to admit that we are weak people. And the good news is this. God, God, God is not afraid of your weaknesses. Let me give you an example. Apostle Peter. Okay, this is one of the easiest illustrations. People like to make fun of him. I like to make fun of him, even though I find myself a lot of time similar to him. Remember Apostle Peter? So one day, okay, say one day, if you want to choose your next pastor, okay, would you have Apostle Peter to be your pastor? That's my question to you. Would you? Let's look at his life history, okay? Would you want Pastor Peter to replace Pastor Yossi? Let's look at his life story, okay? First, they want this, this one beautiful time where Jesus asked the question, Peter, no, not just Peter, disciples, who do the people say I am? And the disciples said, Elijah, John the Baptist. And then Peter's like, no, nah, you guys got it all wrong. I know who you are. You're Christ, son of the living God. Remember the story? And then do you know what Jesus said? My boy, you're amazing. What you say is true. And let me tell you, you do not come to that knowledge on your own. But what? God revealed that to you. So think about it. Right now, you want Peter to be your pastor, right? He has direct revelation from God, correct? And then God says this, upon this rock, I will build my church. So you're like, yes, come on, remove your, your seat. I want Peter to be my pastor. So, okay, no problem. It's amazing because Jesus himself said, upon Peter's confirmation, upon Peter's word, he will build his church. But then, a few minutes later, all right? A few minutes later, Peter got rebuked by Jesus. What did Jesus say? Get away from me, Satan. Why? Because Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Now, would you want a Satan to be your pastor? All right, like, okay, no, maybe that's not a good idea, okay? That's not a good idea. And then, fast forward to the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus tells his disciple, you know what? Before I die, you know, tomorrow, let me tell you what's going to happen. All of you will forsake me. None of you will remain with me. All of you will forsake me. All of you will run for your life. And then Jesus is like, you know what, God? I don't know about all these cowards, but me, even if I have to die, you can count on me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you cute Peter, come here. All right, let me tell you. Tonight, before the sunrise, you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, nah! And it happens. Peter denied Jesus three times. Okay, and now, my question is, do you want someone who denies Jesus and calls Satan to be your pastor? 
Like, nah. Okay, I already stuck with Pastor Yoshi. Good. Okay? But then what happened next? When the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit was, uh, God sent the Holy Spirit, and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, then Peter began to preach. Remember? Acts chapter 2. And the moment Peter preached, do you know how many people got saved? 3,000. All right, with his very first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. I, my very first sermon, I preached, you know, one of my very first sermons, I preached Kung Fu Panda. Be like Paul. Okay? So that's very different from Peter. Peter, very first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Crazy. And you're like, okay, we better replace Yossi with Peter then. But then if you know the story, you think that Peter will not make mistake. Now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, you think that he will not make mistake. But then, many years later, you know what happened? Apostle Paul had to rebuke Peter. Why? Because he was racist. Because he make a differentiate, he differentiate between the Jews and the non-Jews Christian. And Paul rebuked Peter. Said, Peter, you're not walking in line with the gospel. What I'm trying to say is this. Peter is a man of many weaknesses. But do you know that God still uses him? God is not intimidated by Peter's weaknesses. God knows exactly when he called Peter. He knows exactly what he got into. He knows exactly what Peter will be. But God loved Peter and chose Peter and said, you know what, come. My greatest worry as your pastors, one of my greatest concerns of your pastors is this. I think the biggest, one of the biggest obstacles to your relationship with God is you continue to pretend to be strong. Because as long as you continue to pretend that you're strong, you will not have a dynamic, vibrant relationship with God. Because, no, you know why? Because if you're strong, you do not need to come to God. Because if you're strong, you say, why will I come to the throne of grace? Why will I need mercy and grace? I am strong, I can do it. But the reality is, is that you and I know, if we want to be honest, we are a bunch of messed up people. That's why I have no problem telling you that I'm a messy pastor. I like to tell you my junks, all right? Not detail, detail in KM, not to you guys. But I like to tell people my junk. Why? Because I like to create the picture. I like to, like to let you know that I'm not a superman. A lot of time we think of a pastor as someone with superhero, superpower, with cape, and defeat dragons. Let me tell you. I don't wear cape. I can't fly. And I'm afraid of mouse. Like, I can't defeat dragons. I can't. But let me tell you who can. Jesus is mighty to save. That's my confidence. That's your confidence. So one of the things that you need to understand is this. We need to confess we are weak people. As long as we think we're strong, we will not come to the throne of grace. But the second thing, we we need only to admit that we are weak people. The second thing that we need to do is this. We need to become people of prayer. Do you know how we access the throne of grace? It's only one way. Prayer. There's no other way to access the throne of grace. When you want to access the throne of grace, you come to it through prayer. But let me tell you, my confession, prayer is thinking hard. Give me the Bible and let me study the Bible. I find. Now, I like to use the word I find because I learned it from Richard. I find. I find. I find. Give me the Bible and study the Bible. I find. Give me a book to read. I find. But tell me to pray. Uh, I'm not fine. Why? Prayer is hard. Let me tell you why prayer is hard. Simple this. 
because we do not think we are weak and needy. The only reason prayer is hard is because we do not think we are weak and needy. If you know you're weak and needy, the first thing that you should do every single morning, every single day, your first response is always come to the throne of grace because why? Mercy and grace is available for you. As long as you think you're not weak and needy, you will not have a good prayer life. Prayerlessness reveals self-sufficiency. But now, the Lord says this, I love it. Do you know why a lot of time God allows difficulties, pain, and suffering in your life? Only one reason. Let me tell you why. Because He needs to remind you and me that we are small, that we are weak, and we are needy, but Jesus is mighty. So come to the throne of grace. That's the only reason that He wants you to come approach Him. Rely on His strength. Come to Him. And when you come to Him, the promise is this, that there's mercy and grace available. That means what? Whatever it is that you need, God has it. So I want you to go home with this statement, okay? I want you to really, really think about it. Pray about it every time. Every time you're tempted not to pray, think about it, meditate on it until you want to pray. This is a statement. We are far more needy and weak than we think we are. And Jesus is far more gracious to help us in time of needs. We are far more weak and needy than we think we are. And Jesus is far more gracious to help us in time of needs. Let me finish with this quote that I write for myself. That I write it myself about grace. Okay. What is Grace. Grace is so much more than forgiveness of sin. Grace is the power of God to help you in your time of need. Grace is what enables you to trust Christ. Grace is what enables you to obey Christ. Grace is what transforms you to be like Christ. Grace is what makes your heart love Jesus. Grace is what sustains you today. Grace is what forgives you when you fall. Grace is what motivates you to stand back at your feet. And grace is what will carry you to the finish line. Christian life from beginning to the end begins with one word. Grace and only grace. Now, if you believe this, that's an invitation from God. Why don't you draw near to the throne of grace? Because when you do, you will find grace and mercy for your need. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, grace in time of needs. Let's pray. Tonight I want to end differently. So I think it will be unfaith- I'll be unfaithful to this text if tonight I don't encourage you and give time for you to enter the throne of grace. So I don't know what is your need today, but I know many of us tonight, we are in a situation that we can, if we want to be honest with ourselves, we are desperate. I don't know what it is, but you No, there's a situation in your life that you say, Lord, if you do not come through, if you do not come through for me, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And tonight, 
you say, Lord, I want to approach, I want to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I don't, I don't have to be ashamed anymore. I don't have to walk in fear anymore. I can come approach boldly because you are my high priest, because you have made a way for me, because I have this eternal bridge. And now I want to come. I want to draw near because I need your grace. I need your mercy. I don't know what it is that you need right now. Maybe you need strength to walk tomorrow. Maybe you need an answer of prayer. I don't know but you've been waiting for many years, but you know you feel like you're weak, you're weary, you're exhausted. Tonight you want to say, Lord, there's this thing that I really, really need, your grace and mercy. And tonight the invitation is draw near with confidence. So in a count of three, if that's you, I just want you to stand on your feet because we, I want to pray with you, not pray for you, because I, have a, I also have a need that I need the grace of God to come and rescue me from. So in a count of three, if that's you, and you say, Lord, I want to approach the throne of grace. I really have this need, and I cannot, I cannot think of anything that can help me but you. You are my only hope. So in a count of three, if that's you, I just want to use the sun on your feet, and we're going to pray together. One, two, three. If that's you, just stand on your feet. Now I want you to take the next one, two minutes. Speak to God. Because He said, I, I want to listen. I want to hear because I have grace and mercy available. So I want to encourage you now, take time. Take the next two minutes. Just speak to God. Pour out your heart to Him. Tell Him, this is what I need, Lord. This is what I need. Speak to Him tonight. He wants to listen. And he has grace and mercy available. promise that when we approach the throne of grace your mercy and your grace is available for us always that the throne is no longer the throne of judgment but because of our high priest because of the great high priest now the throne has become an answer the throne has become our greatest comfort and we believe when we come to you right now when we just finish asking when we just finish praying our prayer and supplication, that you hear us, Lord. And not only you hear us, that we believe by faith that there's grace available for us and we receive it right now because we know that you will not fail us, that you will sustain us, that the grace that saves us will empower us to live today and tomorrow and you will not fail our great high priest. So we ask, Lord, that you continue your work. Help us to continue to trust you. And we believe, Lord, we believe, we believe. We believe every time we feel like we cannot make it, your grace is sufficient and available for us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Let's turn to our feet as we worship.